From RTE Radio, I'm Neil O'Sheridan. This is Playback Daily. Myself, Joe and Alan made the decision to carry on and to carry on playing the Aslan music, we need a singer. I mean, I think the era of mass tourism and cheap package holidays to the Canary Islands is coming to an end. So imagine me speaking right now, and then you can kind of skin that performance, the kind of the way that I'm speaking, the pauses, with someone else's voice, the sound of someone else's voice. Coming up on this edition of Playback Daily, an old band with a new singer performs on air for the first time. Planning a holiday to the Canaries? Maybe think again. And is that really you? Or is it your AI deepfake? That's all on the way over the next hour of the Radio Catcher show. But sorry, Dave, but I'm afraid I can't do that. Let's start Playback Daily today with an actual monologue from the host of Oliver Callum. And he starts with some breaking news. Well, it was breaking news at the time Oliver brought it to us. How about this news has just landed with us? Krug Park has been teasing um, a huge announcement all weekend. So we can now finally bring it to you right now. It's a major act. They've just announced a full European tour and they are coming to Croker on Saturday, the 17th of August, 2024. This is Bleeding Whopper. Yes, the greatest rock and roll band in the world. It is, of course, ACDC bringing their Power Up Tour 2024 this year. So it's going to be Saturday, August the 17th. Busy time at Crook Park's calendar, usually. And tickets on sale this Friday at 9am. They are celebrating 50 years of ACDC. Can you believe it? Their very first show on the 31st of December, 1973, in Sydney, Australia. Oh, yep. That'll wake you up all right. We'll just do a hard fade, hard fade on that one. So that is the big, big news. Um, they Believe it or not, they're one of the most influential rock bands in the world. The band's Back, Back in Black is the best-selling album by any band ever. So there you go. ACDC, Power Up Tour. Some people are doing that kind of rock uh, signal with their hands, you know, the thumb and the little finger. Uh, huge excitement there. That is in Croker. So the bleeding whopper news there. Hard fade indeed. Next up on the monologue, Taylor Swift's remarkable follow-up to winning all the Grammys, winning the Super Bowl. While you were sleeping, Super Bowl 58 was held last night in Las Vegas with a television audience in America of over 100 million and tens of millions more watching from around the world and more of you will be watching today as well, of course, because we were sleeping and Usher was the halftime show. But really, what happened in the actual Super Bowl? Well, in the sports news, Taylor Swift beat the San Francisco 49ers 25-22 in her debut Super Bowl. So congratulations to Tay-Tay and all her fans. It was an amazing performance. I've seen some of the clips from overnight. She drank the whole way through the game. She was sitting next to Blake Lively, who was wearing this red Adidas tracksuit kind of from the 70s. And then Tay-Tay was wearing the top at the end of the night because, you know, she was shown on the big screens drinking a pint of beer, whatever they call it over there, kind of a 500 mils, whatever. Pints of beer in one gulp. That was on the big screen and doing shots all afternoon because it was a, a daytime Super Bowl this year. So imagine how hungover Taylor Swift is right now. It's just after 1am in Las Vegas. Uh, so she, there she is. She's celebrating. She came in from Tokyo and lots of Tay-Tay teeny boppers discovered the international dateline for the first time because they're going, oh my God, how is she going to get to the Super Bowl if she's doing a show in Tokyo on Saturday night? You see, she would leave Tokyo in her 13-hour flight on her private jet, sleeping the whole way, presumably, and she would actually land sooner than she took off. 
Science, yo, or time zones. There you go. And the halftime show was, of course, by Usher. We played him here on Friday. What are the reviews like? Well, the New York Times says Usher brings precise details to Pop's biggest stage, the Super Bowl. In a halftime set that touched on more than a dozen of his hit songs, the R&B star delivered a raucous Atlanta party. That's where he's from, Atlanta, Georgia. And a lesson in intimate showmanship. He did a very clever thing where he did a big noisy opening and then had Alicia Keys on a piano and they did a very quiet thing. And then he made it all raucous again. Usher fizzles in Super Bowl halftime show. This is from Deadline over in Hollywood. Despite Alicia Keys and the guest stars, which seems like a bit of a mean thing. His guest stars, by the way, Will I Am, Ludacris, Lil John, and Alicia Keys, as we've already said. And um, the Ro- Rolling Stone magazine says R&B legend turned Allegiant Stadium in Vegas into his own personal seduction lair, which is a nod to his. Uh, his tune um, uh, Love in the Club and all that so there you go he's 16 songs they say he put into his halftime show highlights of the performance included him wearing one glove like Michael Jackson would that be a highlight or a bit of a low light and briefly going shirtless while roller skating on the stage himself incidentally he was paid just a thousand dollars for his performance at the Super Bowl they use um, union rates only but he did promote a new album and a world tour and the Globe is talking about him so he gets the value out of it and people are very very excited in fact he was so enthusiastic he kind of when he gets to the DJ's got us falling in love again he's dancing so much he doesn't quite get all the words out have a listen Roller skating right now. Here he comes. Oh, there he is. There he is. Kind of auto tune. Mike is kind of going up and down. This is live. And then he's just gone for some reason. His mic just kept coming and coming and going. Just coming over. There is Usher. It is a really spirited performance. I thought it was really fun. Some of the UK reviews are a little less kinder than the American ones, which are generally rave for him. Uh, but I think maybe we just don't fully understand Usher on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, some of the guests in the crowd, Paul McCartney was there, uh, Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber. So the reviews in the UK are kind of like, we would have preferred some of those stars, ones of the bigger stars in the stands than maybe um, actually Usher himself. And of course, Taylor Swift um, in party mode was quite something as well. Post Malone performed the traditional America the Beautiful tune uh, before, the, um, before the, the, the match itself. And he went for a very country vibe. You can hear the country music. Um, Performing the... America the Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Please welcome I forgot the big voice. times Diamond Certified Global Superstar, Post Malone. There you could just hear the country music lap steel guitar twanging away. It's kind of beautiful having an emotional moment. Thank you, Post Malone. God bless you. I like the announcer. Stadium announcer guy. I'm going to speak like this all day. Everything I'm going to say is going to be big, big, big. 
Uh, what else was happening as well? By the way, speaking of country music, Beyonce used the occasion because the Super Bowl commercials are a huge thing, of course, throughout the whole because they just constantly cut to TV ads. And she used the occasion to announce a new album out next month. It's the first time uh, since there's her first album since only the middle of 2022. But it's it's a country music album. Two of the new tracks are called Texas Hold'em and 16 Carriages. And it's very country. And it, it, this is Beyonce country music. It feels a little strange. This ain't Texas. I was about to say it's a hoedown. It actually doesn't sound as odd as I first when I first heard it. But there's there are crickets definitely in the background there. Aren't they? That's that's uh, from a, a new tune out. She did dabble in country music before on something called Daddy Lessons on the album Lemonade, of course, which is the biggest album ever, and that received a mixed reception from country fans when she performed it live. So that is what's going on. Quick roundup of the highlights of the Super Bowl without ever mentioning the actual game of American football that took place on the margins of the Taylor Swift drinking game and Usher halftime show. What's going on? Indeed. And that Marvin Gaye inflected thought is where we'll leave the monologue. Thank goodness it's back. Let's hope it's here to stay. From this morning's Oliver Callan. The vacant property refurbishment grant was announced by the government to try to get vacant and derelict properties back into operation and to go some way to alleviating the housing crisis. But as reporter Brian O'Connell told Claire Byrne this morning, the take-up of the grant has been surprisingly slow. They were announced as one of the actions to tackle the housing crisis and the grants seem on paper like a good idea to help with uh, development costs. The scheme has been broadened since it was first introduced. The grant level has been increased. More homes brought into the scheme. It's also open to both owner-occupiers and to investors. Uh, Antisha Gliavaratkar said it was one of the actions that would move the dial in terms of inactivated planning permissions and he said it might make the difference in a young couple taking on a vacant or derelict property, making best use of our existing housing stock. Despite this, as you said, the level of actual drawdown of grants is quite low. Some in the building industry are telling me they're actually avoiding having to deal with clients who are reliant on this grant as part of their budget. Now, we'll hear from a builder and from one person who is still trying to avail of the grant shortly. First up, someone who's been highlighting issues with this scheme is Cork North Central Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould. He says data he's looking at shows the scheme is currently not working as far as he's concerned. 6,000 people have applied for the grant, 3,000 have been granted, but only 100 people have drawn down the grant. We support this grant, but the problem was when the government announced it, they didn't put in the necessary resources or staffing so local authorities could actually deliver. What's happening in practice, so Thomas, or where do you think the issues are? Like, I, I had an incident in Cork where one person had to wait four months to get a, a quantity severe. The local authorities don't have the staff to deal with, with the normal going through of a grant. Some people have issues with they don't get the grant until it's finished and signed off on. But the problem is people don't have access to the funding to do the work. So what we are saying here is local authorities need additional resources and additional staff to where they can fast track these grants. 
And then at the same time, a much easier system, a quicker system must be in place so people aren't being held up. In Cork City and Cork County, there were 587 people applied for the grant. Only one was drawn down in 2023. And that goes to show the level of failure of delivery. This grant sounds good, it looks good, but the problem is it's not being delivered. It's one of these policies that the government denounced to great fanfare. And like you'll hear ministers out now saying how great this grant is. But the problem is, for the biggest county in Ireland, one has been drawn down and nationally only 100 have been drawn down. Hmm, fairly stark figures there from Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould. And you got a response, Brian, from the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien. Yes, and I should say those figures Thomas Gould gave uh, have actually risen to 6,400 applicants nationally and 3,500 have been approved. Now, Minister O'Brien had this to say in response to Thomas Gould's criticism of the scheme. I just find it deeply ironic that Deputy Gould continually seeks enhancements to a scheme which his party, Sinn Féin, are committed to scrapping in their alternative budget. And he's not the only Sinn Féin deputy to do so. A number of them putting in parliamentary questions on it also, looking to expand and change a scheme that their own party would abolish. The fact is, it's a hugely popular scheme. More than 6,400 applications to date, over 3,500 approvals. These are vacant homes coming back in for use for families and for individuals all across the country. And this number is growing daily. I put the minister's point to Sinn Féin's press office over the weekend, Claire, and their housing spokesperson, Owner Brent, clarified the Sinn Féin position. He said the refurbishment grant is still part of Sinn Féin policy. He said they haven't proposed scrapping it. They want to give a larger budget to local authorities to acquire vacant and derelict houses. They would continue the vacant and derelict grant, he told me, but they would only be available to households with a gross income of 85000 or less and they would make it payable in stage payments. All right, let's look at one of the other issues that Thomas Gould identified though and this was around how the funding is provided so you pay for the work up front yourself then you get the grant after the work is done. Yes so at the end stage someone from the local authority who administered the scheme would come and they'd sign off on the completed work and then the drawdown can take place. All of this can take take many weeks and months in some cases and in the meantime obviously your builder could be waiting for payment if you don't have the funds and most builders will expect funds up front or actually in stage payments during a build. One such builder is Joe Wren from Wren Design and Construction Limited based in Whitegate in East Cork. Joe began by telling me his experience of the grant scheme as a builder potentially taking on the work. People seem to think that the grants will be readily available uh, during the build, which isn't the case. The case is they have to fund the work and have all the works carried out and then have the house assessed by the council as to whether they will get the grant or not. It's not helping the homeowner prior to the build if they don't have access to the extra funds. They have to have the funds and therefore spend them on the house. Where is the difficulty in that for you as the builder? We carry out the works on the houses and then people are waiting on money for the grants and it's taking weeks and sometimes months for them to get the funding. And you're left with a shortfall? Yes, exactly. We can't play a bank and wait for the funding. Maybe if there was a, a change to the grant that... Uh, stage payments like every builder does for the the work on the house when x is done can we draw down 20 percent when y is done 20 percent etc etc and then maybe leave five or ten percent at completion stage people are taking on houses on a whim uh, because they hear the word grant they say they say to themselves we'll have this up and running for a hundred thousand 
then a builder comes and looks at it and says, well, it'll be 250, 300. And they're after paying maybe 200 for a house. Would they have been better off buying a new one for 500? That's the debate. But the new houses aren't available on the market. It's kind of a rock and a hard place as to whether go new or go derelict. So what would you do apart from staged payments? Is there anything else that could help uh, from the builder side of things? Maybe a training course for builders. If builders want to go down the grant route, one day, two day training course on how to do the paperwork for the grant. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the builder applies for the grant for the homeowner as they know how to and what is required. Builder Joe Rin with some suggestions for how the government could improve the underperforming vacant property refurbishment grant. That's from Brian O'Connell's report on this morning's Today with Claire Byrne. Wayne was on the line to Joe Duffy this afternoon about his dealings with a company called TaxRebate.ie. It's fair to say he won't be giving them a five-star review. You're one of a number of people who contact us about TaxRebate.ie. What is your issue? Well, on the 7th of June, um, I seen an ad. I was looking to get tax back and I seen an ad that they will get the tax back for you. I have used companies similar to this before. Mm-hmm. So I filled out the form. It's basically, basically your PPS number, your address, just the, the details you usually put in. Uh, I did that on the 7th. I heard nothing back until the 29th of January. Uh, I've had an email from them saying they have got a rebate for me. Um, they wanted a picture of my, my driver's licence and a picture of my bank details which I did send on just to verify my um, identity and my address. Um, since that, I just I started getting a bit worried because they wouldn't tell me how much I was due back, which I thought was a bit, a bit weird and a bit concerning. Um, then I went on to look for some reviews about them, and I was kind of horrified when I mm-hmm. came across the reviews. Um, it was one star across the board. A lot of people warning me to stay away. Obviously, at this yeah, but you don't. We, we, you can't verify those reviews, and neither can I. I don't know who's writing yes. that stuff. I've seen stuff on TripAdvisor recently, which I know personally to be absolutely scurrilous about an individual. But yes. TripAdvisor won't take it down. Um, and the family, by the way, about an individual. That's neither here nor there. So, taxrebate.ie. Um, um, why did you go? Why did you approach them and ask them to do work for you? As I say, I have used similar uh, companies. Okay. And I actually did get them confused with another company. Okay, there's lots before. of them, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, there was indeed, yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought, look, at their website looked fine and their adverts looked fine. Um, so I didn't see anything to be concerned about at the time. And where are we now with them? Where are we now? Uh, on the 29th, as I said, they wrote to me to say, January, yeah. review. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got very concerned. I contacted Revenue after that because there was no contact. Um, they had a phone number listed, but mm-hmm. that number wouldn't ring. Um, so I, I have a number of correspondence with Revenue, but all I was getting back from Revenue was to contact the company directly. I explained multiple times um, to Revenue that I couldn't do that because there was only one email that they would, you know, you weren't getting any response okay. and no phone number. But every time I explained that, I just got back again to contact the company directly. So obviously I was yeah. getting a bit frustrated at this stage. Um, and that's when I decided, you know, to contact yourselves um, to see could we look into this more. And they've received the rebate in 29th. I haven't received any money at this stage. Okay. Now revenue, we've been on to revenue. Now we've been on to taxrebate.ie. I'll give you an update on that in a sec. But uh, yep. revenue say revenue has no role in regard to the level of fees charged by an agent or advisor. What are your fees again? Um, 30% and I didn't realise that at the time. 
Okay, because I was looking up other ta- other ta- they're they're all very similar names: Irish tax rebate and tax return and Irish. But um, their fees seem to be ten percent plus twenty three percent VAT. Yes, I was with a company before, and the usual rate would be six seven percent as what I came across before. Plus fat. Um, um, I, I, I'm not sure about actual actually. Okay. Um, it's a bit, it's but, a bit, it's a bit odd that the tax man, a woman, is charging you 23 23% tax to get your uh, rightly legally due on, tax on money back. that tax has been paid for. Yeah, so absolutely. That's... Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think as, as far as I'm aware, Joe, the last time I was with another okay. company, it was just one seven percent across the board. Seven hundred thousand PAYE taxpayers to, to, uh, 2023 have filed their tax returns. Um, 464,000, that's nearly, what, 60%, 500,000, five-sevenths, were eligible for and received refunds amounting to 345 million. Of these returns, that's of the 464, 110,000 were filed by agents on behalf of uh, taxpayers. That's interesting. Jeez, uh, that, is that one yeah. of four, or one of five, or one of seven? But anyway... With just under 85,000 of those taxpayers being eligible for refunds amounting to 49 million. So 107,000 by, filed by agents. Now, is there a, if you're not due any money back, do you still have to pay them a minimum fee? Um, I, I would imagine so, uh, Joe. Um, yeah. Or is it no fall, no sure. fee? I'm not sure about that, Joe. Um, I'd have to check that. But I do know, you know, from what I find out myself, like all of these companies um, have to be licensed, you know, from revenue. And revenue doesn't seem to regulate them after that. And that is obviously a massive issue, you know. That's Wayne talking to Joe Duffy on this afternoon's Live Line about his experience with a company called TaxRebate.ie. Back on Oliver Callan and a chilling story of our tech-obsessed times. Waterford woman Erica Corcoran told Oliver how she found herself the victim of AI-generated pornography featuring her likeness. Since May last year, I've been getting online harassment and it started off as a bunch of people, strangers to me, messaging me on Instagram. And this had kind of kept happening in like waves where I'd have nothing for a couple of weeks and then there'd be another lot of people messaging me. So I decided I need to figure out where these people are coming from. So after messaging some of them, I had realized someone had basically taken all of my normal pictures that were up on Instagram, had posted them onto pornographic websites and basically were directing them to message me on Instagram. And because this was going on, I was periodically checking these websites to see if there was any more posts about me, because thankfully they were actually taking them down when I reported them. But uh, one day, to my surprise, uh, a selfie that I had uploaded with clothes on was there with an AI nude body on top of my clothed body. So it had been altered by AI. Yeah. Uh, Deep fake porn, they call this. Yes. Um, How did you feel that day? Oh, it was... (sighs) It was, it's so hard to describe because it's, it's such a strange feeling to look at a picture that is you, but it's not you, you know, and yeah. obviously uh, as compromising as that, it, it was really, really strange and it's frightening. It must have been absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Because everything about you is your reputation. Uh, it, it's, it's all on the line, isn't it? Yeah. And like, I, I take it that I'm one of the lucky ones because this is not something that's 
eating me up. You know, I'm not losing sleep over this, but I can only imagine that there are so many people out there that are going through this and aren't able to speak up about it. I see what you mean. And, and there's, it's outside of your control. Absolutely. So just an innocent photograph of yourself wearing an outfit. Yeah. It's taken and manipulated, put on a porn site. Yeah. And this is where the, the unwanted attention that you were getting was coming basically from. Exactly. They, they were finding you from Insta- on Instagram. Yeah. And they were posting my full name, the Instagram username and that I'm in Waterford and everything like that. What are, are people saying to you in these messages, and so far as we can talk about it this yeah. hour of the day? Oh, well, you can only imagine some of the pictures I've been receiving. But um, some people are surprised. They genuinely thought they had been talking to me on a website. Uh, and then some people don't really care that I don't have, or they don't have my consent to be talking to me. So some people are pretty ruthless. Some people thought it was really you. Or, yeah. And then when you told them, oh, this isn't me and I don't want any of this, they yeah. didn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do when something like this happens? Um, yeah, the only thing I've been able to do is like there's only a certain site that I've been checking because it's the only one I know. There could be so many other versions of these pictures out there that I have no clue. But of the sites that I do know I get posted on, thankfully, they do take them down when I report them because I'm reporting them as copyright, that they don't have my permission to have those pictures. And that scares enough website owners to take them down. It's amazing that you have to use copyright as the only legal yeah. protection. Yeah. I mean, what, what they're doing is not illegal otherwise. Uh, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, it's not. Yeah. If, they, if they were genuine mm. nude pictures of me, then yes, they would be illegal. But because they're not, I, don't, I think it's in a grey area. It's just showing how far the regulation for, for online is, it lags behind the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how this happened? I mean, is it a random target? It's, did somebody do this to you? I I think there is someone harassing me. I don't know who it is, but um, I think what started off as just pretending to be me on um, like sex chat rooms and stuff like that, because they've sent out my pictures to so many people pretending to be me, I think someone's taken it upon themselves to just change them. And I don't know if there's lots of my pictures out there that have been AI'd or what, but I think that's what's going on. Because short of you having to trawl the entire internet and obviously unpleasant sites that you don't want to be on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite terrifying. Have you had other people reaching out to you that this has happened since? Because I know you went, uh, you spoke to the Irish Independent about this a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you allowed them use some of the images, uh, obviously yeah. censored. And it is quite frightening because th- you can't really tell what's real from what's fake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've been posting it, you know, even on my own social media. I've had people that I know reach out thinking they've actually come across some images of themselves before, but they couldn't even, you know, look twice because they didn't want to know. I also know people in real life who've had real life people that they know in person have done it to them as well. And is there a a community of people trying to find out what you can do to stop this? Um, Yeah, it's kind of, you remember when the image-based sexual abuse photos first, or sorry, the, the law came in there, I think it was 2021, you know, there was a community of yeah. people and this is basically you know the law needs to step up and cover this as well because it's a, a huge loophole How difficult was it to get in touch with these because they're international they're very powerful uh, porn sites mm. they're big big companies they don't operate in Ireland because they don't have the licence to create the content here Yeah. Uh, so was it very difficult to get in touch with them? Luckily not once again because of the, the copyright you know online mm. that's the main thing people can be scared of so there was there's always a report button now, whether right. they act on that is another thing. But luckily, the ones that I have asked, they have been taken down. So you flag them, they come down. Yeah. You don't get contact with the company itself. 
No. Do, do they have content moderators like social media? I believe they do, but to be honest, I'm, I'm not very familiar. D- did you need to use a solicitor? No. Okay. What do you think, what can the world do about this now? Because it, it is, as you say, you don't even know if there are more images of you out there, if this person who has it out for you is going to harvest more of the images. Mm. It's quite difficult to figure out what to do. It's, yeah, it's impossible. And, you know, the internet's such a big place and it's, it's, crazy to think that you would have to warn people that you know putting your your face putting your pictures you know even just up for your friends that they can be taken and and misused in this way it's I can't even imagine what it's going to be like you know in a few years time down the road terrifying that's Erica Corcoran talking to Oliver Callan about how someone or some people distributed AI generated fake pornographic images of her online we'll have more to say on the subject of AI deepfakes later on Playback Daily Locals in the Canary Islands are campaigning for a visitor tax to try to deal with some of the huge number of tourists they get each year. And an environmental group has claimed that the islands face systemic collapse if visitor numbers are not reduced. This morning, Cleena O'Flynn, a freelance journalist in Tenerife, spoke to Claire Byrne about the number of tourists the Canaries, which is a hugely popular destination for Irish people, of course, gets, as well as how the current campaign might pan out. First of all, uh, let me reassure people, if they're flying this week, they're not going to be met with with protesters at the airport uh, if they're coming into the south of Tenerife or to Lanzarote or or any of the other islands. Um, I think at the moment this is a row of words and there is no absolutely no action being taken against tourists. We do have a large number of tourists. We have about 16 million tourists that come in to the Canary Islands every year. Now, the Ben Mackie Group have put a big, much larger figure on it. They say it's about 48. Um, the Canarian Minister for Tourism, Jessica de Leon, says you can't count people who come in on flights. They're not all tourists. So we're, we're already getting into kind of some some differences of opinion there. I took Tenerife, for instance. Now, Tenerife is, in terms of landmass, it's the size of Kilkenny. Mm-hmm. I, I did that, did my little bit of geographical mapping. Um, and we would have about 5.8 million tourists a year. That is a lot. It is a lot. And they would only visit about 50% of the island because 50% of the island is uh, are their protected regions. Our, our lovely volcano is a UNESCO biosphere. Um, lots of the islands do have protected areas. So you have um, density of tourist uh, activity, certainly in parts of the islands. And that is an issue. But certainly there is no massive call among locals, I am saying, that I can see for tourism to stop, for tourists to go home or for people to say stop buying second homes, which is also being mentioned. Mm -hmm. The issue of an eco-tax or a tourism tax, which some parts of Spain have already introduced, that might find more favour with people because if money could be used to offset um, the sustainable effects or the insustainable effects of tourism, you know, that that might be something that has been looked at. And I believe Valencia or the Balearic Islands believe it could bring in about 60 million euros a year. So that could be something that's being looked at. But I haven't seen, and I've asked a lot of people since yesterday, since we were discussing this and coming on your programme, nobody that I know who works in the industry uh, has seen any demonstration, manifestation of this anti-tourism 
movement down here in, say, the south and the southwest of the island of Tenerife where most Irish visitors would come. But there is a, a push, isn't there, from environmental groups that there has to be some measure of control because they allege, as I said, that there will be systemic collapse if that doesn't happen. What there is, is, I mean, you will you will have some agreement in terms of both the authorities and the environmentalists saying that the island has possibly reached a point where we need to con- not control tourist numbers because, again, that sounds very draconian, but to look at they're not going to be running campaigns to encourage thousands more people to come here. I mean, I think the era of mass tourism and cheap package holidays to the Canary Islands is coming to an end. What the authorities, they were recently at FITUR, which is the Spanish Tourism Trade Fair, that was on two weeks ago. And I know the push from our people, from our local um, tourism counsellor, a woman called Patricia Powell, what she said to me, because I interviewed her, was we want tourists who spend more money, ideally. So we don't need more tourists, we need tourists spending more. Um, now, there's a huge percentage of repeat tourism in the island. I think it's up to 70% among certain population areas or certain foreign visitor groups. So those people come back, they own houses here and they put money into the economy. And again, what tourism bodies and they work closely with private companies like hotels and, and tour operators, what they're interested in is tourists coming and spending in the economy, not going to all inclusive areas. So there has been a change in terms of the kind of tourist offers. Um, and I think there would be some some agreement with like, with environmental groups there that, that mass tourism and mass building for mass tourism is something that is now in the past and needs to be in the past. So there needs to be more controlled kind of tourism. I just want to go back to your, your figures and, and you told us about 5.8 million visitors to a place in the Henry. same size as, as Kilkenny, uh, which is extraordinary. when you put it like that. Well, it is. And I just wonder what that feels like. You know, how does that impact uh, your daily life? Um, certainly as a, a worker and a mother who was driving her kid to activities up until a few years ago, one of the huge issues here we have is cars on roads. There's something like an average of uh, twice as many cars as there are residents in the islands. And we have one motorway. And between at certain times of the day, it can take you an hour and a half to drive 10 kilometres because there's just the roads collapse, traffic collapses the roads. That is an issue now because of rental cars, because of, of people coming here at certain times of the year during school term time. At school hours, it is impossible to get anywhere. Now, I know people listening will say, we have traffic all over the world and traffic is one of the problems of living in the 21st century. But that has grown uh, very visibly and perceptively uh, in the 20 years since I've been living here. Mm-hmm. One of the other big issues is that the cost of living increases that come as a result of probably t- tourists who spend more money has meant that for many workers in the very in the in the areas where they're working they can't find accommodation so they have to travel further and further distances to work and provide the service for the tourists um so that is also leading to possibly some resentment but also a call for more building uh, housing is an issue um and now we don't have as yet too many um, people sleeping rough, but there are beginning to be some people who say, I'm going to have to sleep in my car if I have to work during the day. So there does need to be a more co- a more coordinated look at how we provide 
the, the services that we want to give tourists and all you know and give those workers proper accommodation and the kind of dignity that they need to be able to travel to and from work. So yes, there are parallel issues that need to be looked at. Freelance journalist based in Tenerife, Cleana O'Flynn, talking to Claire Byrne this morning about concerns over tourist numbers travelling to the Canaries. We heard earlier on Oliver Callan about the ways in which AI can produce convincing fake material that can be extremely detrimental to the lives of individuals. On this afternoon's Ray Darcy show, we heard about deepfake AI in a little more detail when Ray spoke to AI and deepfakes expert advisor Henry Azure. And Ray began, well, with a pretty good question. How do we know you are really Henry? <laughs> I hope your producers have done their due diligence. <laughs> yeah, well, we're nearly at that level, aren't we, Henry? You know, that you can't be sure of most things. Yeah, so I think, you know, particularly over the last 18 months, we've really seen this kind of trifecta of three key areas coming together, which have really changed the landscape. And that's the realism that these AI-generated outputs can achieve. So how hyper-realistic they are, how much they sound like a real person, how much they look like a real person. The efficiency of the, the AI models that are used to generate them, so how much data they need, how much computational power they need. But then arguably, most critically, we've seen a real democratization and a real explosion of accessible tools that anyone can use. You don't have to be a computer scientist anymore to get these tools in your hands and actually create content. And so those three factors coming together have really, I believe, led to the massive kind of jump in the amount of cases we're hearing about and the volume of this content that's out there. And it seems to me that people who involve themselves in scams uh, and the like, they jump on technology like this quicker than the rest of us. I guess so, yes. And I think it's, you know, from from their perspectives, right, they're looking to almost as a business make their operations more efficient in a perverse way, right? Mm. So if these tools allow them to target people um, at at a larger scale so they can automate the process, if it opens up new avenues of attack so it allows them to kind of find novel ways to scam people, to defraud people, to abuse people in the case of non consensual deepfake pornography, they're going to take it because that's that's how they run their their operations, right? So we really have seen a kind of a, a large increase in the number of attacks, not just against celebrities, but also private individuals in a way that previously wasn't the case. And part of that, again, is down to these AI models um, becoming much better at training on smaller amounts of data. So in the case of voice audio, for example, what might have previously taken half an hour of high quality voice audio to train a model that wasn't that good now might be the case of 30 seconds a minute to achieve a really hyper-realistic quality output. So, yes, scammers and bad actors, unfortunately, do jump on these things quite quickly. So people can make people say things they've never said? Yes, yes, that's correct. Right. Um, and, and this can happen in two ways. So you have what's called text-to-speech, which I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with. That is, you type in a sentence or a phrase um, and the voice kind of speaks it. Or you can have what's called speech-to-speech cloning, which is what was also referred to as voice skinning. So imagine me speaking right now, and then you can kind of skin that performance, the kind of the way that I'm speaking, the pauses, with someone else's voice, the sound of someone else's voice. Okay. Um, but the majority of the cases are with text-to-speech we're seeing right now. Now, when we... T- 
talk about this on the programme, we get texts from people going, well, this doesn't affect me. Uh, I'm not Taylor Swift, never will be. I don't run a bank in Hong Kong, so nobody's going to swindle me out of 25 million. Uh, So I suppose people are turning a blind eye to it because they think uh, that it's not going to affect their day-to-day lives. Are they right? Um, Unfortunately not. And that's something that's relatively new. So I've been working on this space for just over six years. And they would have been perhaps right around the beginning of that time period when people were predominantly targeting celebrities. They were going after CEOs, you know, high-flying business figures in scam context, politicians and so on. But again, there's this direct relationship between these tools becoming more accessible to everyday people. They don't require that expertise to use. And the victims or the people being targeted increasingly becoming private individuals. So there have been cases in the US of families getting calls from what appear to be their loved ones saying, I've been kidnapped, you need to pay a ransom to this to this person. Um, you know, there have been cases uh, I've heard about directly from uh, young women being targeted in schools. Um, so in some cases, even children being targeted by deep fake non-consensual pornography. Um, and it is increasingly a problem that everyday people are having to, to deal with and are being targeted by. So I'm Unfortunately, it's not the case. And obviously, private individuals don't have the money and the resources that the celebrities and perhaps politicians do to respond to these um, to these attacks. Mm. Uh, and, you know, everybody's saying half the world is voting in elections this year. Uh, does this sort of AI threaten democracy in any way? I think it does pose a threat. The real kind of interesting question is how much of a threat? Mm. So... We have seen already this year, we've seen, for example, Imran Khan, the previous Pakistani prime minister who was in jail, um, releasing an AI-generated victory speech in his voice following the elections where some of his allies um, won the, um, the, the overall vote. We've seen fake uh, Joe Biden robocalls um, targeting, I believe it was New Hampshire voters, telling them not to vote. We're seeing scandals in Mexico City where the mayor has allegedly been attacked uh, or targeted by voice cloning um, to kind of uh, incriminate him. So we are seeing it increasingly being used. And we're also seeing it being used in a kind of satire and critical kind of art context as well. Mm. The real open question is, how much impact are they actually having on voters? Are they actually changing voters' minds? Are they actually affecting result outcomes? And I feel really... It's going to be very hard to tell until the dust has settled, really. Not at all reassuring, really, is it? AI and deepfakes expert advisor Henry Azure talking to Ray Darcy this afternoon. Or was he? Quite a few people crammed into the studio with Oliver Callan this morning because there was an announcement to be made. Irish rock legends Aslan are setting out on a new path with a new lead singer. Morning, Morning. Welcome, uh, Billy, Alan, Joe, Alvazlan are in studio with Lee Tompkins. Lee, welcome. Thanks very welcome much, Alan. For the, the next era of the band story, isn't that fair to say? And perhaps with the celestial presence of Christy Dignam echoing along in this celebration of 40 years of your music. But, uh, Billy, we've never heard Aslan with this new singer before. No, it's it's very uh, it's it's very emotional to be here actually this I'd morning. Say, yeah. You know, coming in and realising this is our first performance without Christy. But, uh, you know, after 40 years together, myself, Joe and Alan made the decision to carry on. And to carry on playing the Aslan music, we need a singer. So, hence Lee 
came on board. Lee's from Finglas, which was kind of, he gets our sense of humour. That's important. That's very important. This was not an equal opportunities. <laughs> and uh, he's a big Aslan fan. So, look, we're just, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting because, number one, I think uh, we're excited. We're musicians and it's a year and a half since we played a gig. So we're looking forward to starting in Cork on the 22nd of March. But every gig that we do, we'll be kind of remembering Christy at the gigs, you yeah. know, because he was, we, we did share a stage 40 years. So we're not just going to erase that memory, you know. Well, look, you have instruments with you and we'll have, yeah. a, we'll have a more comfortable chat yeah. when you get it out of the way. Yeah. Uh, Billy, what's, what's the song? This is a song, it's called Precious. It's from an album, um, Here Comes Lucy Jones. It's never... It was a, a song that Christy never sang live. We never played it live, ever. Oh, right. So this is the first time playing Aslan Precious. And yeah. the first time we'll have heard Lee yeah. Tompkins. No and pressure at all. Yeah. Uh, no better time just after nine o'clock on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we'll take it away in your own time. Yeah. 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 Three. Eighteen and you're old enough Do what you want to do You're eighteen and you're old enough Don't have to listen to you No, you ain't no child no more Now you're out there on your own Said you ain't no child no more that you feeling all alone Tell me do you feel That what's going on is real Or what's really going on Is just make-believe Precious, so precious just like a stone thrown into the crowd But there's no one there to catch us No one It's just games in your imagination With some strange situations like diamonds in a gold mine All the back street that made you feel fine Tell me, do you feel that what's going on is real Or what's really going on
That was incredible. Uh, what an amazing singer. Beautiful song. The texts are coming in already. Uh, and we should, that was actually fully live here in studio. Well, thank you to Cara on Sound Engineering there because it's an amazing yeah. job. Yeah, well it's done. Not, well not done. the easiest thing in the world. The studio is pretty small and there's four of us in here with the instruments. It's, it's a, a spoken word right. studio, yeah. so it's really good. Great. So right. you can relax there for a moment. That's the first performance done, yeah. Oliver, which is, a, it's kind of, it's a relief for us yeah. as well. You Do you know, know what's amazing is uh, it sounds like such an Aslan sound and yet it's it's new there's something different as well well you're the difference Lee aren't you Howdy. it's great yeah it's well it's exciting you know everything is exciting about it so the first performance is good to get it over with because you know it's it's tough to step into them shoes you know as, oh, yeah. as people have been saying and um, yeah just to to get to sing the songs is amazing. It's exciting, you know. It's a younger voice because you're a, you're a younger soul. I'm slightly younger. <laughs> he's no offence, lads. He's but half a age. <laughs> Unless he's sleeping in Cod Liver Oil, he's. Uh, yeah. is a yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're a Finglas through and through, and you're a big Aslan fan, Lee. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus, from Finglas, you know, it's it's like uh, it's a religion in Finglas, you know, Aslan. It is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because you grow up and it's bred into you as a mm. young kid, you know, all your. Your family listen to Aslan, your cousins, your friends, it's it's you go to all the gigs, so it's great, you know. Um are you obviously the worry there is, isn't it, that you're stepping into such massive shoes? Yeah, but it's it's exciting, you, you know, because okay. I know it's you're never gonna replicate like Christy Dignam, you know what I mean? He's yeah. such an icon of, of music, especially mm. in, in Dublin, in Ireland, and you're never gonna do that. So I have to put my own spin on things, my own exactly. flavour into things. And as you can see, I'm a musician, I play the guitar. Yeah. Christy didn't play the guitar or anything like that, so, oh, but yeah. I will be playing. So, so like there was a new spin on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was exactly. very important that, that uh, the singer that we found didn't want to become a Christy Dignam Mark II. Yeah. And Lee has his own individual style. He's not going to be, you know, doing the hand movements that Christy used to do or anything like that. It's about being himself, really, you know. Mm. The new Aslan or the old Aslan with a new singer, performing on air for the first time on this morning's Oliver Callan. Finally, on this edition of Playback Daily, Claire Byrne was joined this morning by chartered physiotherapist Jenny Brannigan and dietitian Louise Reynolds to discuss how diet can complement exercise. Claire started by asking Louise about the importance of diet planning around exercise. It is planning, really, and certainly for somebody who's training to have something after exercise, have your snacks ready. It's really just thinking, I suppose, a little bit more planning and having things in the house that are generally carbohydrates are important because that's our fuel for energy and for exercise, but also protein as well. So protein is really, really important for building muscle. So sometimes you'll find people get very into their sport and they might think, you know, oh, yeah, well, I'm focusing on this and I'm, I'm not really, you know, I'm a bit hungrier, but they're not really changing what they're eating. That's but we what, know that I'm guilty of that because I think great now I've ticked that box on the exercise, but I'd never dream of eating to to, to match fuel that. the exercise. Yeah. Well, I think really, as you said, exercise and nutrition really do go hand in hand. And there's a lot more evidence now that sports nutrition and really anybody at an elite level, whether it's on a team, they will have a sports dietitian working with them. Or if somebody is in an individual sport, chances are they will go and talk to somebody mm -hmm. about their nutrition. Because and I we can, now know it does make a difference. I can, and I can understand that. Yeah. But for the rest of us who are plodding around the place, do we really have to be mindful of yes. what we're eating? Yeah, and I suppose the one thing to think about is protein. And we seem to be talking about protein a lot. And Jenny and I were saying that, you know, there's a big 
big focus on protein. We're not talking about going out and buying, you know, specialised protein bars or powders. That's not necessary for everyone. But by having a look at your diet, we can get protein in lots of everyday foods you find at home in your Mm -hmm. fridge. Yogurt, milk is a good source. Eggs, lean meat, chicken and fish are a good source of protein. And then for the vegetarians, peas, beans and lentils, really, really cheap, really high in protein. You have tins of them at home. Um, And then soya protein. So if somebody's taking a milk or dairy alternative, that would be the best alternative to go for, which is high in protein. The others don't match up. So if you Mm -hmm. are vegan or vegetarian or you're not having a dairy food, go for the soya alternatives, tofu as well. Um, things like that would be good sources. So protein is something to keep in mind at every meal throughout the day. And again, as we age, we know now that with an association with exercise, as you're getting older, the protein regularly throughout the day, not just one big, heavy, protein-rich meal in the evening, but actually throughout the day is what's really important to build strong muscle. Okay, so Jenny, let's focus on the exercise. So you want everybody to keep the muscle tone up and to keep doing a bit regularly. Is it important then that they back that up with a good diet that supports muscle growth? Absolutely. And we've talked before about how your lean muscle mass starts to reduce from the time you're in your late 30s onwards. So if you're thinking about maintaining that lean muscle mass through exercise and resistance training, then you also need to think about how that protein plays a role in that as well. So if somebody comes to see us in the older age category, really, we need to be also getting them to talk to a nutritionist because actually what needs to be done is the movement piece, but also making sure that they have those building blocks in their diet to build up that muscle. So what's the risk then if you have somebody coming to you who says, yes, I'll do all of the exercise. If they don't address the diet, what problem do you see emerging? They're just not maximising what they can achieve. So they're only getting half of the story. So we really want to see people thinking about this more holistically and not just thinking, you know, siloed, oh, the physio is going to help me with the movement piece and then I go and see the nutritionist for something else. It's really the whole picture. So if you're trying to build muscle and get stronger, you should be thinking about both sides of it. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? I mean, we've talked about protein, Louise, but before you exercise, should you be introducing a little bit of extra carbs there? Yeah, well, that's that's something that very often we see people falling into that, you know, Oh, this think, is a bad thing, is it? Yes, okay. exactly. Or they might or they might say, oh, I'm going to start exercising, but then they'll think, oh, I'm going to lose weight. But really keeping, you know, having a healthy body weight, having the balance between exercise and eating, you, you need to eat. You know, you're not going to perform well. You're not going to have the strength to continue your exercise if you're not fueling your body. So carbohydrates and protein, then for bone health, calcium and vitamin D, they're the kind of main focus I suppose and also iron is very important for blood and blood is carrying oxygen to your working muscles so if somebody is anemic they'll feel very very tired and not will be able to perform in whatever sport whether it's going to a couple of exercise classes a week going for a walk with your friends or a jog or doing something more intensive so you need you know we don't want people to be adding up or having a calculator out working it out but roughly speaking for a, each kilogram of body weight, you need about 0.8 grams of protein. So if somebody is 70 kilos in weight, then they would need about 55 grams approximately of mm-hmm. protein in the day. What's that in old money now? Do you know so, 70 kilograms in stones, roughly? In stones. Well, 60 kilos is about 10 stones. So 70, it's about, ele- about 11 right. stone. Or in, so, so for a man of about 11 stone or for, you know. A woman, yeah. Yeah. So they would need then, in terms of, of the day, they would need to have some protein. So if, you know, if you have a piece of fish or chicken for your dinner, that's about 20 grams. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have 
a glass of milk, that's about seven grams of protein. If you put that on your cereal, similarly, you know, so you don't have to drink the glass of milk, but putting milk on your cereal is about seven grams of protein. If you go for one of the... Um, milks now which are fortified with protein that can be up to 10 grams so some so of you can the, build it up pretty easily up really if you kind of focus the day. on it and having snacks during the day so protein rich snacks so again you know a yogurt or greek yogurt would have twice the amount of protein as a regular yogurt so mm-hmm. four grams in a carton of yogurt eight grams in a greek yogurt and then some yogurts now again have fortified protein so it's it's using the regular foods eggs about six grams of protein you know things like that or some tuna salad or at lunchtime so it's a matter of kind of going for the protein foods and when you're having your snack rather than just having a slice of toast of butter and jam you know there's a couple of grams of protein there in the bread but if you went for something which is high in protein you're going to be maximising that throughout the day and that is going to help them when it comes to the time that you're exercising Okay and that helps then Jenny does it if you have the food bit right it helps with the exercise does it? Absolutely, because what you're getting then is the benefit of both approaches. So if we're just talking about exercise and giving you a rehab plan, we're getting part of the story, but the food piece will complement that. And particularly if you're looking at older people where it's difficult to build up muscle, we need to be absolutely making sure that in those age groups that they're taking on enough protein. And that's quite a challenge because they can sometimes find it bland to eat. They find it difficult because they may not have the same appetite as somebody who's in their 20s and 30s who's fueling their exercise much more easily. So it really depends on the age of the person who's in front of you. But then you're thinking about those risk factors also. The bone health piece is really important as well. But if you're trying to exercise to improve your bone health, but you're doing more exercise and you're expending more energy, you have to be fueling that energy through the food Mm -hmm. side. Jenny Brannigan, Chartered Physiotherapist at Total Physio and Dietitian Louise Reynolds from the Irish Nutrition and Dietetic Institute talking to Claire Byrne this morning about the vital part diet plays in any exercise regime. Well, that's all I have for you on this edition of Playback Daily. The programme was compiled, written and edited by me, Neil O'Sheridan. Don't forget you can listen back to all the programmes featured on Playback Daily on the RTE radio app. Until the next time, thank you for listening and good luck.